Hi, welcome to Morning Talk Show. Today, my conversation with Paul Vanderclay. Paul is a pastor and has a YouTube channel where he basically um, lays out his thinking on a lot of different issues. I find it interesting, uh, uh, and uh, I'm sure you will too. So, thanks for listening. Hi, welcome to the show. Um, today I talk to Paul Vanderclay. Paul Vanderclay is a pastor in California who has garnered a, a, a relatively large YouTube following um, based on his kind of long-form discussions of certain topics related to faith. He started off commenting on the Jordan Peterson phenomena from a Christian perspective, and that kind of is what is what got him um, whatever level of notoriety he has, that's where he came to my attention because, um, as you probably know, if you've listened to multiple episodes of this podcast, I'm, I'm somewhat of a confused Christian myself uh, who I'm, I'm sorting out what's going on with um, spirituality, what, you know, what I think that is, what it could be, um, other definitions of things that aren't uh, religious um, and things like that. But Paul Vanderclay definitely represents the more intellectual side of the faith that I come from, from Christianity. So um, as such, I think this is an interesting document of um, just my search for, uh, for meaning in my kind of um, Christian mindset. And uh, as such, I think that it's a little bit more like I delve into a little bit more personal territory. I kind of wander a bit. Paul was very gracious in speaking to me about this. Um, so it gives an, it, he gives insights, and then also the conversation will be an insight into kind of my, my thinking and maybe a bit of my confusion, which I think is on my sleeve a little bit more in this, because Paul's pretty much the first Christian that I've talked to on the podcast. And I've, I've actually avoided that because I wanted to, um, to explore other things, um, having been steeped in Christianity my whole life. But uh, as such, I think you'll find this an interesting conversation if you've been following along with the podcast. Um, we talk about some things. We, there, there are topics we start and don't continue on with. Probably the big one is when I talk about um, changing my desires. I, I thought, talk about wanting to be able to change my desires. And um, that is a, a very complicated idea that could fill many volumes. We don't really go down that path. But I just want to say, uh, from my perspective, that um, I'm speaking of desires that I have that are unhealthy for me, desires that I have that might be hurtful to other people, um, you know, desires to assert myself or anger and that kind of thing. Those are the kind of negative things that I'm talking about when I talk about changing my desires. So um, without any more yammering from me, let's get on to this conversation with Paul Vanderclay. Thanks for watching. Like and subscribe um, if you like this kind of content and if you want more of it. Thanks so much.
Paul Vanderclay, welcome to Morning Talk Show. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to speak to me. Um, it's my pleasure. Thank you for speaking to me again. Uh, and and the, <laughs> so the story, the, the people listening to this will not know the story, uh, but we spoke at least a year ago now. And I, I, I feel the need to come clean to you and apologize and say, um, I loved that conversation. I was completely happy with it. And it was one of the things that was affirming to me that I actually did want to start a podcast because you were maybe the first or second interview I did. Um, and yet I was afraid to publish a podcast about Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Uh, I was afraid to, this is kind of the, this is kind of the, me, I'm getting vulnerable a little bit because I wanted to start a podcast. I clearly, as you could tell from our conversation, I, I, I was and am uh, an appreciator of Peterson's to some degree, probably less so now than I was at the time, but he was, he was very influential to me at a certain time in my life. And, uh, I do think that he, you know, he undercuts his message uh, in some ways. He he undermines his message with some of the ways he speaks, and so I, uh, I was so nervous to so early on in my podcast throw that name out there and throw that, um, you know, just that put myself in that box. Um, I probably should have done it. What I kept thinking was, okay, after I've done this interview that will show that I'm not, uh, you know, <laughs> that, I, I, that I'm not an angry young man uh, incel, uh, then I'll put up the Vanderclay thing and, and, and it won't, you know, it won't out, you know, I, I, will, have, I will have proven to people that I'm, I, you know, I'm not sneaking him into things or something. And it just went on and on like that until... I, I felt like the interview was so, was was going to be out of date, so I do apologize. I I yeah. That, do you have any response to that? Not that you have to have a response to that. That's that's, that's quite all right. I, I am curious though about your you know your transformation and your story. So. Um, but I'm, but it's, but you're the one throwing questions. If you give me half a chance to start asking questions, I will. So uh, oh, wow. I'll, I won't hijack your podcast. No, I, that's okay. Like this is, it's supposed to be a reciprocal podcast. And actually I've already talked, uh, more, you know, I've already ranted while you sat and listened to me. So, um, anyway, uh, I, I think to, just to, to, my first question would be, um, how do you describe what you do uh, right now? Uh, and and like I knew at one point your channel had had a lot to do with Jordan Peterson, and I'm a fan of your channel, and it's had a lot less to do. So how do you describe what you do with your channel? Oh, that's a really good question because <laughs> I don't think about it much. Yeah, I I make. I talk about things I'm interested in and that I think are important. And I use the channel to take my thinking just up a little bit higher than if I'm just in a room thinking by myself. That's one aspect. So the monologues. And then obviously the conversations are 
because I like talking with people. But years before I had a YouTube channel, so I really, the channel really got going in 2018 at the, or the end of 2017. I had blogged for years and blogging for me was the same thing. I wanted to learn things and remember things. And I discovered that I could learn them if I put just a little bit more intentionality and planning into it. Yeah. And then usually by the end of the post, I knew more than when I started. Right. And so, you know, obviously there's a, there's a missionary mentality to my channel. I do want to influence other people, but really it's terribly self-indulgent. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, know. So when I say yes, I, I don't mean I'm agreeing that you're self-indulgent. Um, but uh, I do, um, I know what you mean. Because I, I've been I've been listening to you for a oh, long time. Guess. Sorry? Oh, you're kind of frozen up. Hmm. Okay, so yeah, that uh, you were talking about how blogging um, was kind of self-indulgent. And I actually get that. There's an element of that with this podcast because journaling is cool and people talk about journaling and how great it is. And I've never, it's never taken root to me. So even just a, an audience of one person crystallizes my ADD or something yep. into my thoughts form into a line and okay, I can do it. I can't rant like you can, like you, I, I mean that in a complimentary way. Like you, you unpack ideas. I tried it once. I, there's one video on my channel actually talking about Peterson, uh, which was an attempt to kind of start to come clean about that. Um, and uh, I don't know, I'm not, I, I wasn't a hundred percent pleased with it, but I thought maybe I can start to show my thought process and start to develop that skill that you've developed of, of speaking, um, speaking through an idea. And actually, I think we, I think that's something maybe the two of us share with, with Jordan, uh, in that it, for, for anybody watching this who absolutely loathes Jordan Peterson and has heard sound bites or seen some more recent stuff, there are those old lectures that he used to do pre-fame that those are the ones for me, like yeah. where he would have his hands out. You could see him grabbing the idea out yeah. of thin air yeah. and, and wrestling through it. And like, it was painful. You could see the pain of it. Um, and I think maybe one of the ways that he has, he or, or the, his perception has gone wrong is that we've like, he's maybe lost sight of, of the fact that his thinking is what, is the most like watching him think is much more interesting than watching him preach and you're a preacher so but but what strikes me about your channel is is that you're not preaching um and that's one of the reasons that regardless of where my christian faith has been uh, i can listen to you talk about it hmm. um, so i don't know if that's uh i guess that's an affirmation uh, oh that's that's interesting for me well i I don't think it serves the church for people in the church to be dishonest about who they are and what they think. Now, again, as a as a pastor, 
I, I do have an office to fulfill, which means that I do have to, I, I cannot use my office to, in, in a self-indulgent way. So I separate myself from my office and that's why my personal channel is over here mm. and the church channel is over there. Mm. And, and on my church channel, especially in my Sunday school classes, I do do a lot of thinking out loud, but I am at the same time cognizant of my office and the responsibilities of my office. So that's right. one section of me. Yeah. But I, I, think it's, I think it's vitally important for church people to be able to be honest. And I know churches are tremendously... Uh, there, there are whole varieties of churches and church traditions, but in my experience, church has always been a place where, where people can be honest. And mm. I frankly would have little, I would have little appetite for a church that wasn't such a place. Right. Um, yeah, that man, that really resonates with me. Um, uh, it's not probably not surprising that church has been a disillusioning uh, thing for me. And I think it is for a lot of people simply because depending on the culture that develops or maybe your particular place, uh, you know, uh, in, in that culture, honesty is difficult. Uh, it can be, and, 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 and it, it can actually be discouraged um, never, never openly. Right. Uh, no one's ever said you can't talk honestly in any church I've been in. And yet in some of them you can't, and in some of them you can. And even within, I mean, y your honesty is within, within boundaries, um, you know? Um, and so that adds a huge level of complication to your life. I'm sure. Uh, would I be right in thinking that like, uh, have, have you said things you've regretted on your channel? Have you, uh, so <laughs> yes, the laugh answers the question. Yes. Um, yeah. Have I have probably said things I shouldn't have. I'm not asking you to re re repeat them just so that you can put all your most controversial moments in this one podcast, but, <laughs> but I love the idea of honesty and I love the, I love, I'd love to hear your experience of honesty as a person of visibility. I was, my wife and I, I mean, do, I do almost all my television watching with my wife. It's something that we enjoy doing together and then enjoy talking about whatever it is we're watching. Sure. And our, our, you know, we were watching a, we were watching a love is blind. It's a reality. It's not at all the kind of show we ever watch, but somehow, you know, I've got adult children and usually one of them is living at home. And so we watch what they watch and, Mm -hmm. sometimes and yeah. that, that broadens us and yeah so, you're dipping into another universe yeah <laughs> so we were watching this show and it's a it's one of these datings get married shows on netflix and i was listening to some of these people talking and i i think i think we have to, when we think about honesty boy that's a that's a tough subject because honesty is not the same as being completely transparent and in the moment. Mm. Uh, there, you need to have a, 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 an integrated self of sorts and, and, and something of a continuous self 
to manage honesty. Otherwise, so I was having a talk with a, a friend of mine who has, he's homeless, he's got some real issues mentally. He, uh, there's a woman that he was trying to impress and uh, she had shown some interest in him. At least that's his, that's his tale to me. Mm-hmm. And he told me about how he, he basically cussed her out. And, and he, he, said, he said to me, oh, shoot, I, sh- I wish I had written down exactly what he said because it was so perfect. It was, it was the extent of, you know, basically he said, you know, it, it was, I, you know, I cussed her out and it was out of my mouth before I thought about it. Mm. And, and if you think about that, yeah. it, it shows something about us. And yeah. so honesty is, is not having things come out of our mouth before we have agency over them. Right. We're really complex creatures, and and so yeah, yeah, and and so part of part of YouTube talking at a computer, which again was something really fairly new to me a couple of years ago, and and having other people listen and respond, I I, I wouldn't so I wouldn't want to do this in my twenties. Hmm. You know, by the time you get a little yeah. bit older the cake is baked and hopefully you've got something of a self and a proper filter and which can hopefully manage honesty. Right. Right. You need some humbling experiences at least you need some, you need some experiences that get that build you into someone who's worth hearing from. And then also experiences that temper you so that you know that, you know, your shit stinks or something. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, I did very interesting. Yeah. And we are we are so complex. And I think like there there's there's the feeling that honesty is well, there is a feeling that it's just saying whatever you know, like okay, so like uh, in a, in a situation of conflict, you know, like well, I just had to, you know, I just had to be myself and uh <laughs> and uh I don't know. It kind of speaks to that sort of giving up of yourself or, or death of self occasionally being the thing that is required. And, and death of self means uh, release of, of judgment, you know, rele- releasing justice, uh, you know, or that kind of thing. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm just kind of, kind of riffing. on. Well, it. the biblical admonition is speak the truth in love, mm. which, which, is there to remind us that we are responsible for our language and and honesty is not an excuse for failing to love others with our words mm-hmm. so again honesty is not the same as having no filter right or complete transparency especially if you're grasp on yourself is 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 tenuous and so in this moment you say something that will because every, everything that we say creates our persona in the other person and and we have a degree of stewardship over that process too yeah i mean we, reputation is essentially that so yeah. You know, these are all things that we should grow into and learn to learn to master 
And, mm. and if we learn to do it well, we bless each other. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think uh, this is kind of tying together. Let's see if I can get this thought out uh, that was forming as you were, as I was listening to you. Um, so for every, for every honest statement that we make, that's along the lines of, you know, Paul, uh, I just have to tell you, you did something that hurt me and I'm going to get my feelings out. Um, I would hope that there is for every statement like that, there's some, there's some time where I would be saying, look, Paul, this is not going to make me look good, but I need to get this out so we can move forward. Uh, I, it's maybe, you know, or I'm being honest. I don't know if I'm right. I'm being honest, like, and, and I want your actual response. So it's like, it's honesty. And then, and then it's whatever it's accepting the response back from the other person. And then to take that out to, to extend that out into, um, maybe some Peterson territory and some of uh, the stuff we were talking about before, uh, the term free speech has been used a lot um, and was used a lot by, well, at least people around Peterson. And uh, he did talk, he does talk about it and some of the intellectual dark web, which seems to have fizzled out. And I'm not sure I'm even, I don't think I'm really sad about that. But um, free speech was discussed. And you go, great, free speech, let's get into this. And uh, And then what I found was that there wasn't, there was the one kind of honest statement of, you know, here's what liberals are doing wrong, or here's what, um, here's what postmodern neo-Marxists are, are doing wrong. And this is, this is my free speech. And it's like, yeah, that is your free speech. Um, but uh, I, I find that sometimes this, this smaller version of honesty that we were discussing uh, is reflected in a larger version of honesty, which is actually, um, just speaking my piece, just confronting, just challenging, and the vulnerability of the grayness of the vulnerability and the and the lessons that can be learned from the from the adversary aren't necessarily there. Am I? Is this resonating with you? This this free speech comparison. Yeah. I, so certain modes of it's helpful to to think about what speech is for because ideally a conversation builds something between us mm. and and if we are in a community that that conversation in fact has the capacity to build relationships between us to uh to help to help build institutions and norms by which we can expect to understand each other's actions and words. Now, something has happened in the culture that has given a particular amount of status to the call out or, or something of this nature. Anyone who has been in the business of calling out within networks of relationships understands that there has to be a relational context in which the, 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 for the words to have power to bless in a correcting way, there needs to be a relational context. Mm. Yeah. And sort of what we've devolved into is mere complaint and, and self-indulgent complaint. Mm. If, if I 
you know, one of the things, one of the things that, that you very quickly learn as a pastor is that there, there's sort of an expectation that, that you will correct others' thinking and behavior in the community. And in a sense, you've been given a position of authority to do so. Yeah. And maybe you think, oh, wow, I, if, you know, I have this now, well, well, go ahead and try to use it and see what happens. And what you begin to realize is that there is indeed positional authority within an institution, and that has to be stewarded and protected and, and should, in fact, be respected. But for people to listen to an admonition, especially if requires a great deal from that person. And mm -hmm. if, if they do not have the maturity to receive an admonition, uh, number one, it's a waste of time. Number two, you may be doing more harm than good. The opposite effect, yeah. Exactly. And I should and, say admonition uh, is a, a, you know, I, I know the term admonition, uh, if anybody doesn't, you, you mean like, you know, a, a rebuke or a, a challenge right. or a call that's out, right. that kind of thing. Yeah, okay. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's not as common a word uh, outside of uh, church circles, I find. Yeah, that could very well be. I could I could have should have put that on the list of oh. Christianese, perhaps. Oh yeah, maybe maybe it's a great word though. Yeah, well, and so if again, if the goal is love to love your neighbor, which as a Christian ought to always be your goal, and if your neighbor is doing something that they shouldn't be doing, in in Galatians six, the Apostle Paul says, you know basically correct each other with gentleness, lest you yourself, you know, fall. And, and the reason is that it is, mm. it is so, it is so easy to become self-righteous viewing the defects of others. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Jesus addresses this with his parable of the log and the speck. Self-righteousness is is about as dangerous a posture for one's soul as as anyone could have at least mm. i think in the yeah. in the christian view of the world right and and we have we have become a culture of tribes of self-righteous people mm. pointing well, and yelling at each other and it, we'd probably best just endure the sins and miseries of others for a long time and and bit by bit slowly try to build up yeah um, relationships between each other yeah i i agree um this is not a, a slight but do, do you think i think that that maybe larger forms of christianity have have actually contributed to that uh to that kind of culture there there was a time where it, it when i was growing up probably the heyday of christian power it it felt like uh there just wasn't a like the the there was a lot of abuse of of um of that of, of christian offense being something that was um seen you know it was a powerful voice in, in uh in culture and and i i agree with you that that self-righteousness should be the, you know, should be considered uh, a, a massive, massive 
pitfall and red flag in the Christian worldview. Um, unfortunately, I feel like self-righteousness is, is kind of a, a universal that, that has also been um, unfortunately trumpeted from the pulpits of power uh, in the past. Do you have a... Re- oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and part anger is deeply connected with self-righteousness because mm. anger... I mean, I, I just watched the I just watched the Democratic debate, some of it last night, and um, you know this desperate anger with each other, because you know that 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 seems to be the only way to get attention yeah. and the only way to be viewed as sincere or serious. Mm. This is a this is a this is a really ugly and dangerous spirit that Mm. has has taken lodge in our cultural debate Mm. and it 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 does not lead to good things and it very much does lead to self-righteousness yeah you show me a person who their anger the roots of their actual anger may be years in their past you show me an angry person and by and large you'll find a self-righteous person yeah, I've had such a complicated relationship with anger because I've really grown, not complicated, I've really just hated my own anger for my whole life. And uh, my wife and I talk about this because uh, I'm a repressor, repress, repress, repress my anger. And then, <laughs> and, and then a very rarely will, I, will it explode. And, uh, and it's like, yeah, so anger, on the one hand, I... I completely agree that that going to anger as a way to show righteousness, as a way to show power, is is so so damaging. Um, and yet, I guess there's this. It, it doesn't it doesn't go away. And so, you know, I don't think it has any place on on the presidential debate stage. And you can just see, for many reasons, that whole situation devolving uh, into the worst basest. Uh, form of communication, largely spearheaded by the the guy that the Christians are are backing. I mean, I, I feel like that began. People are off the chain now, maybe because of Donald Trump. I, I, I'm interested in what you think about that because he definitely like took all the first steps in 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 allowing anger to be uh, you know the animus that informed his behavior. And and people are showing themselves. It's very it's depressing because people are showing themselves to have wanted that in a way. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like th- there are times where um, uh, there there are times where in, in life where you get sucked into something good, and that's one of the things that makes me feel like goodness is a real thing. Because there are times where you'll see someone influential will say, "Hey guys, let's all do this," or "Hey folks, let's all do this," and then you get sucked into it. You do something really good for the community or something. And you're like, whoa, thanks. I really am glad we did that. And then you also see the other thing where like something bad will happen and you can see it in people's faces. They're like, finally, you know what I mean? Like you're letting me off the chain now to do what I've always wanted to do without this veneer. Um, and I think that's what's happening in politics. Man, I feel like I feel like we're, we're jumping all over the place. I really like the, your thoughts here. Now we're on to politics. But yeah, do you have a response to that? 
I remember during the McCain campaign, John McCain, it was a town hall event and a woman got up and just said, you know, really ugly things about Obama and John McCain, you know, basically said, you know, whoa, um, you know, no, no, no. And John McCain was of a generation, I think, that that under, especially having been a veteran, understood what happens with people when they when they begin to disregard institutions. Mm. And I, I think politically, politically, the the United States political. Um, the, the United States political, I think the Congress has been lazy in terms of exercising its power. And over a number of years, we've seen, I mean, why can presidents do so much now by executive order? Mm. Obama was criticized for that. Trump is criticized for that. It's because Congress isn't in many ways doing its job. Mm. Uh, the president shouldn't have as much power as the president does. Mm. I think Trump Presidents certainly lead, but they also express. And in a, in a sense, you know, one of the things that I've said in my videos, I think in some ways, the two political parties in America express different elements of humanity and need. The Republicans express strength and the Democrats express kindness. In right. a in a well-formed person, you need strength and kindness. Right. And it's not always easy. In order to love, you need both of those. Okay. Right. And so it's in a sense a little bit more natural to hear anger from strength. Yeah. But when you hear anger and kindness, well, it's it doesn't play as well. Oh, and yeah. and so I, you know, I'm the difficulty, the difficulty in talking about Trump is that all you get is anger now from both sides. Right. Yeah. And and so we you know, part of responsible language is attempting as best we can to anticipate the response to our words. Now we're not in control of it ever because right. individual people will all have their own responses. But we we are responsible. We are responsible for them. So, mm. I I think. Um, although I, I should say at the beginning that I have always I have been a religious believer and a political skeptic, and by that I mean um, I am I've always been skeptical about the power of politics to mm. uh, bring in the kingdom of God. Right, and that's why I'm a preacher, right. not a politician. Yeah, and and honestly, I'm I'm neither one, but my that's where my sensibilities lie as well. Like the change, you know, the internal change uh, needed in people doesn't come doesn't come from the the top. Uh, and when you mentioned, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I I think I think if you were to look at Trump, I think his his bigger. I think I think the bigger problem is that he's a mocker rather mm. than an angry person. And, and right. I, I, I connect that with that because in many ways, I can be a mocker. I mean, I can be a troll. And that's a, mockery is a powerful rhetorical tool, mm -hmm. but it's, 
it's a dangerous one. And just like self-righteousness, it's a dangerous one for our own souls. A read through the book of Proverbs. Um, yeah. You read in the book of Proverbs and you'll find these, you'll find the mocker and the fool. Yeah. And, and in some ways the fool, the fool is seldom put in charge because right. everybody realizes that doesn't go well. Right. Mockers are more often put in charge and mm. that tends to be a more hazardous path. That's really interesting. Yeah. I love these insights. Uh, one of the things you said about the um, Congress and stuff kind of losing um, or like about, uh, how did you say it? The, um, there's a sort of a civility and process and stuff that they're supposed to follow. Uh, and I wonder if there's any, if there's any corollary there with, uh, with, with a liturgy, um, like, uh, like there, there's, there's process and there's almost like pageantry and, and, and a certain amount of going through the motions, which is the complaint, which is the, is the complaint of say Protestants about Catholics or about more liturgical systems. But at the same time, the Catholics and the, and the Anglicans and all are, are rehearsing things uh, on a regular basis because on a deeper level, it's been determined that they're valuable things. And, and that's what, uh, so the talking to you about this is making me kind of form this together because there was that ripping of the speech thing that happened. And uh, I mean, goodness knows I would, you know, if I was close to Trump, you would just, I mean, physically close to Trump, you would, you, sometimes you would want to have those mic drop moments, but it did seem to me like there, there's a veneer dropping and there's a, um, a veneer is maybe a bad word to use, but that there is a, a sense of ceremony and that's, uh, and process, um, and that being part of something larger, that's kind of, uh, leaving politics right now. Um, so it's not a question. It's just something that came to mind knowing I'm speaking to a pastor. If, if your complaint is that your rival lacks restraint, you seldom make your point by lacking restraint yourself. Yeah, I was saddened to see that because I thought, oh, he's so pleased that you did that. You know, you, you just got to think on some level, he might have been offended, but at the same time, you know, it's like must have hit pretty close to the mark with you. You know, if I if you're willing to do something so kind of extreme in response to me, it's like, I'm, I guess I'm getting, I guess I'm getting to you, which for, you know, you let, you let a bully win when you do that. If um, you're a button pusher, the satisfaction is seeing evidence that you've pushed their buttons. Yeah. Yeah. And it was that, so for that reason, it was just sad because well, I would, I would love to see a, a, a very good alternative to Trump in that regalness, you know, in that kind of uh, self-possession anyway. Yeah. Well, it's because because self-restraint exhibits a particular kind of strength, as does kindness. And you see, that's part of the that that's part of the difficulty in that both archetypes, in a sense, both modes have their own strengths and weaknesses. And what are the two archetypes? Sorry. Can well, you... well, strength and kindness. Oh, okay, gotcha. And so, self-restraint is in many ways the strength of kindness. Mm. And um, generosity is the kindness of strength. And, mm -hmm. and, so, and so then 
you know, we're always, we're always somewhere on these spectrums and we ought to play them. And I, I, like, the, I like the inclusion of the word liturgy in this because, you know, the reason that you, the reason that you have a, a liturgy, which is something out here, a, a set of practices and words and movements that the community can anticipate and do together mm-hmm. is to train the community and to enhance the the unity of the community. The mm. first thing that I don't know if they still do it. I, th- I suggest they do. The first thing that you do to take all of these disparate individuals and try to mold them into a military unit, and and to degree and to achieve a degree of unity that will that you know, by which people will rely on each other for their own lives. And to do this with strangers is you march together. Yeah. You make them walk the same. That's right. It's so crazy that it works. It it does work, but it's deeply, it tells us something very important about what we are and how we are. And, and for this reason, the decorum, the liturgy, all of these things are very important for us to, to work together right yeah and and, uh i mean we are such complicated creatures and the more disembodied we become uh, which is a whole other topic uh the more it seems just crazy and almost pathetic that we can be united by moving our bodies the same, by saying the same words. Uh, you know, like, uh, I, I, don't necess- I don't think it's pathetic because I think it's natural. I think it's, it's a situation um, where the physical world um, has an impact and has an influence on, on the psychological world. And of course, the eventual goal of the person marching in lockstep is that, um, that this physical repetition will actually cause an internal, uh, will facilitate an internal loyalty and an, and an internalizing of the principles of the, of the armed forces, you know. Um, but what they don't do is have a bunch of uh, lectures. They don't have a bunch of sermons uh, about uh, how you guys are going to become a, a group you know, you guys are going to become a unified group. So come, you know, every day come to this lecture hall and I'm going to convince your mind that you love these people around you, that you're going to kill with them and you're going to die with them. That's not how they do it. And and if you want it done, if you want whatever, you know, I'm not making a statement about the armed forces or about war or battle, but if you want people to get united, there's so much to do with our bodies that's involved with that physically being together, um, you know, looking the same, moving the same, speaking the same. And then eventually, you know, you, you have that. I mean, there's clearly a lot of dissonance that gets created by that at the same time, just like, just like religions create dissonance that maybe doesn't have an expression. If there's too much emphasis on the, on the rehearsed and on the ritual. So again, not a question, just, (laughs) <laughs> riffing well, off of this idea well the you know it's it's so interesting to me the the idea of mapped and unmapped territory um you mean the the bicameral brain you know current current idea is that sort of what you know why we have two lobes yeah you know two lobes of the brain two sides of the brain 
Yeah. And and in terms of liturgy, I mean, we, we always we always need both. We need the routine, but we also need the new. And so in terms of in terms of church and and in terms of the thing that brings a group of people together so that they can act together, there's both of those things. Mm. But you know, to go all the way back to the beginning of our conversation when we're talking about honesty and and responsibility over our tongues, you know, that's a that's a key element there too, because inside we are we also are legion. There's a part of me that feels this and a part of me that feels that. And so we are mm. many. And so what we're looking for is again this word integrity, so that we all of our I often call it a consciousness congress, that that all of that, that that is is brought together and now I can act as one and especially not only one here in this moment, but the same on through time. Mm. And, and that is what we seek to achieve together in an ecclesia, in a church, mm. in a community where we come together and we act as one through time. Now that takes, mm. this is, so when, for example, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament talks about that we are a member of Christ, Christ then is the is the one community, and a member is not a a widget or one ball in a ball pool. A member is like a finger, and if mm, I were yeah. to lose any of my fingers, you'd be incomplete. That finger would be missed, right? Even though right. I have ten. Yeah, no, that's uh, and and that's that's very biblical and and very true. Um, so. Yeah, no, it's uh this is this is really I, I like where this has gone and I've kind of reached a little a little bit of a lull in, in my uh in my response. But um yeah, I, I love I love that and, and so I guess this is all on my mind because um well it's it, things are just on my mind in general, but um <laughs> But uh, recently, on a personal level, uh, I have uh, decided to leave the the church that I've been attending, and I really don't. I should also say I don't talk about this stuff on the podcast. You're the first open Christian. I think that I'm not wrong in saying that you're the first Christian I've had on this podcast. But I've always, I always tell everybody I'm from a Christian background, or I am a Christian, or I'm involved in Christian activities. Uh, you know, I'm I'm in a I'm in a weird kind of nebulous place in terms of uh, a lot of the language that I have uh, about what I'm supposed to believe and, uh, and what I believe. What I can say I honestly believe doesn't correspond with what I've been told I needed to believe, but it's not a, um, uh, it's not a, I don't have a positive belief that these things I believe before are not true. So I haven't, I'm not doing the inversion. I'm not an atheist and I'm not saying things like, um, well, I used to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead physically. And now I realize that's stupid. Um, you know, like, and sorry, now I'm being a mocker. Um, <laughs> uh, just I'm being Trump here, but, um, I, I don't, I, I'm just in this very nebulous place. Like what I've said in the past to somebody was that, um, if, if your faith and your, I guess, further than faith, also your beliefs are 
uh, were characterized as a house or as a, a place that you live. Um, at one point, I would have said I was in a in a in a town. Not only was I in a in a you know in a house that was built on on rock and and firmly established, but I was in a town of of complementary architecture. You know that was well planned and surrounded by people also in those homes. And now it just feels like uh, it feels like I can kind of carry it on my back. What I actually would express a positive belief in, not making a not making a statement about whether that's the right place to be. It's certainly not my destination. It's just attempting to be honest. And it's the kind of thing that's very difficult to say inside a church. And so in, in my recent and personal experience, I've been disillusioned with church for so long that I haven't really considered church itself to be a part of who I am uh, or to be a part of my identity. Um, and making the, the decision to, to, to leave this Protestant church, a Baptist church, um, has been really interesting because I actually have found that, um, surprisingly, I still want church. And I've heard people say that. People who have been out of church for years have said, oh man, I really miss the community of church. And for me, like, going through a lot of complicated things in a church context, I was like, you're basically saying you miss the worst part of being a Christian. Like <laughs> that's how it's, that's how it's felt. I mean, I'm, I might be overstating it for a narrative effect um, because I have uh, a lot of really good friends, um, you know, at my church and, and there is a community there, but um, yeah, so now I'm going to, uh, I have attended an Anglican church now uh, with my family a couple of times, and this, lit this liturgy, this is where all this is coming from. It's not entirely pie-in-the-sky uh, thinking, and there is this liturgical element, and there's this, this interesting and almost pleasant element of slipping in and out of faith and in and out of religious belief through the course of a service based on the fact that we are actually speaking the scriptures we're reading them out loud reading the bible and we're doing things you know uh like singing together which we always have always done or or going and and receiving communion and uh i don't know i'm interested in your response this is not also not a question but one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you i felt like it was a good time to talk to you again was that um i'm just interested in maybe even a little guidance. This will be like a little, uh, little counseling session for me that I'm getting for free. No, uh, you can send me a bill. Um, <laughs> but a, a little bit of guidance uh, or, or some thoughts on how to negotiate um, spiritual disillusionment. Um, yeah, first of all, do you have any thoughts about what I've said or should I tr try and form things into the form of a question? Or, or do you want to interview me? Well, well, talk to me a little bit about when, I mean, it's probably hard to articulate, but what, what about, I mean, obviously you wouldn't have switched if you didn't feel at some level it was an upgrade. Mm. Do you know what that's about? Well, I wouldn't say I've switched for sure. I, I happened to have a friend who is an Anglican priest. Okay. And uh, I uh, actually, 
this is this is weird. I have a, a several really close friends uh, that are kind of leaving my church at the same time, and uh, by chance meeting, we were we were actually looking to possibly rent a room that this church isn't using. They have an extra building, this Anglican church, and I, I brought a couple friends along to look at this space. And on the strength of that meeting with this guy, they started going there. So now it's like, uh, this is so not interesting to people. I'm sorry, everyone, just bear with us. We'll get to some good stuff. My personal story is not fascinating. But uh, anyway, it, the, through, through tenuous things, uh, some, some close friends started going there. So I have attended twice, with, not necessarily with the decision that now I'm an Anglican or whatever, but okay, uh, okay. And, and I, actually, I, I don't really want to, um, to just, just jump jump ship and say oh you know it's like oh this was bad there and now but they don't do that here kind of like a rebound girlfriend or something you know (laughs) well what what when you were in your old church made you uncomfortable uh what well there a a certain amount of of what we were talking about before about uh honesty being difficult um honesty being difficult in the church, uh, receiving some discouragements. Um, like I, I actually used to lead the music there and, uh, and there was a Sunday where I was really working through some things personally and some deep things. And I was speaking between the songs and with real emotion, you know, getting choked up and things. And at the end I kind of felt like, Oh, you know, um, I feel like actually I was working through some spiritual things. I feel like maybe God, you know, I've always been very, very skeptical about the voice of God. It's so difficult for me to say something was of God. Um, and so I, I thought, you know, I thought I had a moment of real faith there. I felt like I was talking, you know, actually working through something with God. And then I got a text uh, from the pastor, you know, eh, maybe don't, you don't have to talk so much between songs, you know? <laughs> and so I just felt kind of fundamentally rejected um mm. on that and then i and then it happened to another friend when he was leading um got some uh, you know almost disciplinary uh uh action based on on kind of some stuff uh, not very controversial uh stuff but uh, just there's sort of a as, as happens very naturally i think in faith communities there's a um i don't know an attempt to have a unified uh, message and to assert, uh, you know, a like-mindedness that actually doesn't reflect the people who are actually there. Um, and it's, so if it was just the two of us, it, it wouldn't be a big deal, but I, I feel like, uh, there, I, I felt like the, the, the tenor, and this has been true of many other churches. So I don't think I'm just like dishing on the one church, but, uh, the, the, there's a lot of subtle things that don't get spoken out loud that we're all just supposed to like hear these dog whistles and sort of uh, uh, act like we all believe the same things you know <laughs> theological things and, and and things like that and and so it's not necessarily spoken aloud but it's you know yeah does this sound familiar to you at all church church do- i you know dog whistles of course is something that's been in our political vocabulary but this is the first time that I sort of saw it within a church realm. And it's a good word because, you know, there's a lot of Christian code talk and there, and then there's a lot of expected response and yeah, you will lose status if you don't, if you don't reciprocate appropriately, 
within right. the culture. And, and again, every culture, you don't have a culture if you don't have these things. The, the, the difficulty is figuring out how to have a, have to, how to have a robust enough culture that can afford both the boy stuff is so hard to talk about both the both the reality within it as well as the durability right. and you know the i mean it's 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 a it's a sensitive thing i mean part of the i mean part of what you ran into is that whole office um, personal thing in terms of because when you're leading worship you're fulfilling an office and part right. of what has happened within let's say low churches that tend to be more self-expressive is that the the express that the expression itself that is supposed to appear uh, serendipitous still needs to conform with the official with the office and right. so in other words the the authenticity oh, the, the stuff gets so complex and this is part of the reason why older church traditions have fairly locked down um you know rigid liturgies right. where there's no yeah. room for self-expression right. because i it, i mean this stuff is just enormously complex and yeah. if you were to it's so it's so difficult because and you're exactly right if you were in that moment to say something that was sort of in tune with what the pastor or certain elements of the church were thinking <laughs> you would have been praised for this right. authentic self-expression yeah. but because it's not in line now you know, you were, you yeah. were admonished. And also a level of professionalism that, to be honest, wasn't there. So by the way, when I'm talking about this time that I, that I said too much, I'm not defending it as though I did this amazing thing. And then, and then, uh, you know, I got rebuked, but uh, I definitely, I definitely didn't say I, that, that I can be a manipulative person. Uh, I can speak, and um, I think it, it what you're saying kind of came into some sort of clarity in my mind at the time, which was that if I had very, you know, in a very practiced way said some things that, like you say, aligned with what the pastor said, and looked up at just the right time and had a crack in my voice, um, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter how personal or how raw the feeling was. It would be, oh, wow, great job. You know, and um, I understand that that is that I created an awkward situation and I would not die on that hill by any means. Uh, it's just it's something that came to mind and it and it kind of highlights this weird tension between self-expression and the and being an individual versus being in a uh, a position of visibility and also a part of a community and man it is unbelievably complicated uh, as you say and i think uh i i think to to take it to a a deeper place rather than um it being about specific hurts in my life or whatever 
uh, which I don't want it to actually be a therapy session. <laughs> um, it, it feels to me like uh, it is difficult in a church situation to allow space and time for the various parts of genuine belief to form. Uh, and the idea of the journey or being in the wilderness, we've, we've really compressed that down uh, to where people want your wilderness to be pretty damn quick. Uh, you know, um, yeah, yeah, 40 years, try, how about 40 minutes, you know, like, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and I, I remember one time speaking to somebody and saying, I'm not sure, uh, you know, I'm not totally sure that God exists, which is a hilariously normal sentiment. But I got wide eyes and crickets and, and then a sort of a eh, kind of response. I mean, this is, this was coming from a person in ministry. So I understand the, the, <laughs> the um, I, I was in, in ministry, I mean, at the time. And uh, so it, uh, I can understand the reticence, but then I just thought, well, my, yeah, is it, is it a solvable problem to, to let people evolve at, at a rate, you know, to, to sort of shepherd people and help people, uh, and, and, but let the, uh, the amount of time elapse, uh, to get, to get where they need to go. Uh, like for example, uh, and I'm sorry, you were about to say something. Um, my, uh, many people have a, a metaphorical faith or they look at the Bible as a hundred percent allegorical, hundred percent metaphorical. And, uh, there, there are definitely, there's a big part of myself that's drawn to that way of thinking. Um, and it, I, I hold open the possibility that um, there are a lot of things in the Bible that I, that maybe I need to believe are literally true that I don't believe are literally true. Um, but I can't, and this, this, I think this is true of everybody. I can't just reach into my dark bag of beliefs and put a new one in there. Uh, you know what I mean? I can't, you know, and that's, I think that's, that's been my issue for years. And it's probably the issue of many people is we don't actually, we don't actually tell ourselves what we believe. We don't take a big chunk of granite and form ourselves with a, ch with the chisel of God's word. Uh, you know, yeah, respond. <laughs> well, you, you know, you're absolutely right. Our, our beliefs are involuntary. Which is amazing that you just said that out loud because you don't hear that very much. And that's been my feeling. Anyway, continue. Yeah. No, they are, you know, they are involuntary, but they're not, they're not outside the domain of our responsibility. And that sounds funny because usually you say, that's well, true. I can't be held accountable for what I'm not responsible for. Well, that's true. But, you know, again, I, I really like Jonathan Haidt's Rider and the Elephant. Um, what what happens on the what happens on the parade ground for the military is the training of the elephant and that our beliefs are we we don't have direct control over our beliefs but we do have a degree of control over mm. the environments in which beliefs are formed mm. and so you know i was you know i'm thinking about you know 
I'm going to hopefully tomorrow make a video, continue to work on the RET and um, the RET and link stuff. Yeah. Because you know, in a, in a sense, they get castigated by certain people for the beliefs that they gave up six, seven years ago now and took them a little while to come out, which I completely understand. This stuff is, this stuff is so difficult because here's, here's a, here's an uncomfortable, here's an uncomfortable image the the pastor who no longer believes and yet continues acting as if he does believe so that he can ride out to his pension and you know not lose his position in the church none of us have respect for such a pastor right so we're we're stuck sort of in this middle place of of knowing we have to steward ourselves and there is a community there's a sense of community obligation with respect to our beliefs, yet at the same time having a, um, a burden of public authenticity with respect to these beliefs and honesty. Mm. So what this, what, this means, what this means is that in some ways ecclesiology in the church is, is the biggest is the thing that's in some ways most up for grabs because it's not just Can you define in this, ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is the, um, is the doctrine of the church, how we do church. Oh, okay. Right. We're, we're in a moment culturally where there's some pretty severe cross pressures with respect to church and propositional belief hmm. for, for very good reasons church membership has been contingent on propositional belief of many kinds, including, is there a God? Check yes or no. Mm. Um, but there, there's always been a tension between these propositional beliefs and behaviors. Mm. Okay. Right. And so now with some of the, some of the movement in, let's say, um, gender roles, uh, questions about same-sex marriage, um, some of these things, this is, this is bringing a lot to bear on questions of belonging, behaving, and believing. And so okay. these are the areas that churches are very much trying to sort out. And mm -hmm. do you, you know, this is, this is something that's been around a while in church circles, church leadership circles, the, the, the process question of believing and belonging. Can you belong to a community for a long time without necessarily believing mm. the propositions? But now the third one coming online is behaving. Mm. And so, you know, let's say you're a church that is not affirming of same-sex couples and a same-sex couple begins attending your church and you don't, you know, you, you haven't stopped them at the door. You say, no, you're welcome here. You're welcome to sit and, and, and listen, participate in the liturgy. But then there's questions about communion. Communion is a, obviously in the church a very big deal. You know, there's the same issue with Sam on my channel. He's been on my channel a few times. He's a very active participant in the Discord server. 
Sam is non-Trinitarian. But almost all the rest of Sam's beliefs align quite closely, beliefs and behaviors align quite closely with evangelicalism. So he, various, he doesn't believe in the, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as the three persons of God. He doesn't believe that they're equal. Oh, okay. He doesn't believe Jesus is God in the same way that the Father is God. Okay. So he's not Trinitarian. That's going to seem, uh, for anybody, and I, I do think that a lot of my listeners are, uh, are, are not from this background, uh, and so this is going to sound, uh, I, I'm just going to acknowledge how crazy some of this can all sound uh, to someone who's not from that perspective, and because uh, I'm, I'm tracking with you 100%, but... Uh, well, it, and, and we, could, we, could, we could say, well, let's imagine there's a local chapter of the NRA, and, and one of the members of the group goes to the leadership and says, you know, my, um, you know, my father was gunned down by, by someone, you know, who had a gun. Would it be okay for our group to support, to support this bill for gun control? And of course, the leader of the NRA would say, uh, maybe you need to find a different group. Right. Uh, and then that person would say, oh, I'm so offended that you would kick me out of my tribe. Right. Because you know, but the thing is that the NRA doesn't have the same expectation of love and love has addressed, you know, love in our culture has, has very much become synonymous with something like nice or that which pleases me. Mm. So if someone treats us in a way we don't want, they're being unloving. Right. Uh, that's, you know, you could, you could delve into that theologically, but in terms of the folk level of the culture, those definitions conflict. So hmm. many, many people in church might look at Sam and say, oh, but he's just like us. He behaves like us. He, right. you know, for all intents and purposes, he's just like us. Don't worry about that Trinitarian stuff. Right. Um, but there are real reasons in the history of the church where one might say, hmm, just like for you to say, there are days that I don't believe there's a God. Or maybe to stop the there are days and just say, I no longer believe there's a God, but mm. I really enjoy playing here at the church right. and participating in worship. And I still like singing these songs, even if I don't necessarily right. think they're true in the same way I used to think they were true. These right. are hard, hard things. Very hard. Yeah, very hard. And I, I don't envy... I don't envy people in, in positions of power who need to uh, positions of power in churches who need to make these decisions because uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how you answer it because on the one hand, like to, to put it on a personal level, uh, people don't love you because you are nothing. People don't love you because you contain no nothing that offends them. They love you. Well, I mean, you, we should love everybody, but uh, you know, if, if people have a personal relationship and a connection with you, it's because of something that that you you do have something inside you. Um, and this kind of gets to something that's been on my on my mind as well. Um, where, uh, so I, I've talked to people from various uh, backgrounds, and one interview that's not released yet is with uh, um, a, a lady who has. Um, extensively studied a lot of different uh, mystical traditions and um, has been involved in a lot of meditation and, um, and Buddhism and that kind of thing. And um, I, I think, let's see if I can express this. 
um, and feel free to disagree. With, uh, but it, it feels to me like uh, belief has become like uh, fetishized. Um, our beliefs have become, uh, are, are viewed as, not, not only do most people view our beliefs as something that we chose and that we, we took upon ourselves based on the evidence that we found, um, but then they are the defining characteristic uh, of, of who I am. And, and it's important to believe the act of believing um, you know, I've seen it, uh, you know, e you know, even on plaques, just believe just the word believe and, and uh, um, being a believer, you know, and uh, I'm, there's something that I'm kind of uncomfortable with about that. And it might not be the it might not be the fact that belief is important. It might be belief combined with that um, idea that we've chosen our beliefs that makes it that makes it so toxic that can make the whole idea of belief so toxic and so there's like there's your beliefs and then there's your behavior as you were saying there's what you do and the place that i'm at is like well there were beliefs i was asserting that are not not only are they not manifesting themselves in my behavior they're not manifesting themselves in my emotions you know, like something will make me mad that's not supposed to make me mad and something will not make me mad that is supposed to make me mad. And if I'm, you know, um, if I'm supposed to believe something, then, and my emotions don't correspond to it, even if my actions do, like I can drag my ass out and go to church and do something that shows that I believe in something. But then, you know, if there's no connection, do I even believe it? Uh, so I, uh, do you have any responses to that about how the, how the church kind of uh, fetishizes belief or, 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 you know, it's almost like you, you hold your beliefs in a, in a clear box in front of you and uh, someone, you know, you, you walk up and look in your box. <laughs> okay. Hey, how are you? How are you doing? You, you've got the right, beliefs does that resonate with you yeah you know peterson in his his talk at lafayette when asked what religion was he says that which you act out we've mm. you know we we know that there are different there are things that we say we believe but we don't act out so there's certainly a disconnect there that we're pretty familiar with it's become fairly popular now to sort of trash propositional beliefs but um i think we do that to a degree be when people around us there's a high degree of commonality and expectation and and fairly moral behavior around us if if your wife were to come to you today and say i don't believe we're married anymore i think you would pay attention yeah um if right. if you're if you know you and your wife have a child and that child becomes eight or nine years old and then this person says you know, I believe this, this group of people of a different race should be treated like animals and it would be okay to enslave them. Well, you'd have a problem with those beliefs too. Right. And now they might say, you know, well, I don't, and we have these with conversations about pedophiles. Well, I'm attracted to, I'm attracted to children, but I don't act on it. Well, once you say I'm attracted to children, suddenly everybody's going to treat you differently. Yeah. Um, 
well, maybe you don't believe you're attracted to children, but you, so, so what I'm saying in this is that this level, this particular category of belief, propositional belief is not going to go away. Mm. It is, it is too yeah. foundational a part yeah. of now at the same time, someone could come around and your wife says to you, she doesn't say, I don't believe we're married anymore. She says, you know, I believe that we should get a new living room set. Well, that's a, that's a whole separate order of magnitude of beliefs. Right. Um, and, or I believe, um, it, I mean, so all of these things live in an economy of importance for us. Right. And, and part of what's happening right now is that there's a lot of moving around. There's a lot of fluidity. Things have gotten unsettled. And, and I don't think there's – technology has been the primary disruptor mm. of, of society for a long time, and it's speeding up. And so, you know – buckle in because this isn't going to stop. And mm -hmm. I think part of what we should think about are what are the kinds, this sort of goes back to the free speech question, what are the kinds of practices and norms and even beliefs that will help us not do really horrible things to one another as we navigate this period of obvious instability? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. And I think one of the things you were, you were saying there about um, being a pedophile or whatever, not you. Yeah. Uh, somebody I, am, I am, I am not a pedophile. No, yes, that should be stated. No, it doesn't need to be stated. We Thanks know that. be to God. I, yeah. I feel sorry for individuals that, yeah, absolutely. that deal with that form of attraction. Absolutely. But I think it, it does hit, a, it's a very visceral example of um, the idea that changing our desires, I mean, you want to talk about something difficult, changing your beliefs is uh, hard. Changing your desires is something that I think we've kind of given up thinking is even a possibility. But it's, that's right. you know, for me, that's what I've actually... Um, you know, that, that's been a, a big tension because I, I kind of have an intuition that maybe I can change my desires or that over time, my more accurately, over time, my desires can change towards something that I am currently in, intuiting would be better. It, it, I, I, don't think I, I don't think I can change my desires uh, quickly. It's kind of a, it's kind of like a free will thing where, where those who don't believe in free will, they don't believe in this Congress. What do you call it? The like consciousness Congress, consciousness Congress. Yeah. They, they're not necessarily thinking of, uh, of the mind as this consciousness co conference in which there are multiple voices. Uh, some of which are maybe more persuadable than other voices in your own head. And one of those voices is your conscious mind, which is drawing on what you believe to be your conscious beliefs. And then that voice might, it might be a little timid voice in the back. Hey guys, hey, uh, you know, uh, but it's there. And um, I, one of the things I want to promote with this 
this channel is very vague, but it's like, it's the idea of, um, of long-term personal growth, personal evolution, and the, and the use of intuition in that process. So as you're, as you're going on with, um, so as you're forming beliefs, um, I think this happens in churches all the time, um, a series of propositional beliefs um, as a corpus, so like something like a biblical theology, will we'll form beliefs, and then those beliefs will, especially the more genuine ones, will form intuitions. Uh, and this is where it gets really weird and complicated to the point that I've even been told by, uh, at one point by a the theology scholar that intuition was a word from Eastern mysticism and that, it's, that intuition itself is problematic. Uh, and, and so I, I don't know where you, I don't know where you, like, I guess what I'm getting at is um, there are times where intuition gives us the feeling that we must transcend a belief or intuition gives us the feeling that that um our beliefs are not adding up to what we want and or what you know what we what we think we should be but that intuition is even formed by those very beliefs do, do you see what i mean like it's sort of a cyclical thing yeah, and what do you think about that? I'm not. I'm not. Sh in, I might not. The be intuitions are certainly formed by the beliefs, but they're also formed by the experiences, and especially mm. by the habits. Yeah, I didn't mean only the. I didn't mean only by the beliefs, right. but that's one of the things. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think when 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 the apostle Paul says. I'm sorry, it's not the apostle. It's it's from First John. Um, we're, when we are admonished to discern the spirits, um, a contemporary translation of that might be um, steward the intuitions, mm. because you know we we get lots of intuitions about plenty of things that. Um, you know, you're walking down the road, and maybe you're on a diet, and you pass an ice cream parlor, and boy, that sucker's calling to you. And part of you says, you know, go in there and get the biggest, best ice cream you can find. Another part of you says, well, didn't the doctor say you're borderline diabetic? And so <laughs> there are, we have lots of intuitions. And, mm. and I often tell people that, you know, intuitions, and they're, they're certainly connected with feelings. They're, they're almost synonymous. Uh, intuitions seem deeper, less direct than feelings, but um, they they bring feelings and, and sometimes right, it, right. They're yeah. good. They're good. They're good teachers, but they're bad masters. Mm. And and this gets into the the complexity of one's psychology in terms of becoming an integral self mm. that. Intuitions are really helpful for for telling you whole varieties of things. Uh, I was I was just so last night, I started a uh, a Netflix documentary on the Unabomber, and a woman was out in the 
Montana, you know, out in Montana, Lincoln, Montana, near where Ted Kaczynski's cabin was, and her three-year-old daughter was over playing and went in the woods, and this woman said, the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and for that woman, that was a sign that her daughter was in danger, so she went to go get her daughter and saw Ted Kaczynski um, pointing a gun at her daughter and picked up her daughter and took her daughter back. Like now, it, it, they were thinking of it as just being a trespassing kind of thing at the time, probably, right? Well, it was, there was already some complex things going okay. on with Ted Kaczynski at that point. And yeah, the neighbors okay. were, were beginning to dawn on some of the neighbors. Okay. But, but people have intuitions about things that aren't necessarily uh, as directly empirical as one might have. This is very common in human beings. And these yeah. intuitions are, are never always right. And they're never always wrong. They're in this place in the middle. Right. Of course. And, and it's, yeah. it's really helpful to, to understand intuitions in that area. Mm. And so just like John says, discern the spirits, we ought to um, steward the intuitions and begin to learn what's me and what's not me and what part of me is is saying because and and you know it, it rightly in our conversation was quick on the heel of desire because it's you know if you read the apostle paul and and this isn't unique to christianity in the ancient world it was expected that people would would not be slaves to their desires a stoic had to master that christians had to master that yeah and and in fact, any almost anyone will tell you you ought to master your desires. Well, what right. that means is your desires ought to be your servants, not your masters. And right. they will always be with you and they can teach you things. The desire to to eat might indicate that you should eat. Right. But um, yeah. the you have other faculties within your consciousness, Congress that ought to have a say. And the reason you have a Congress is to let these intuitions and desires and other faculties have their proper right. say. Live, listen out, like let them say their piece, weigh it all. And I think the tension for me with religious faith and belief and intuition and all this is that uh, there. I believe that I have a desire for God, um, but it's in it's often been in the realm of of my intuition. You know, I desire something that I have not seen and do not know, and it is difficult. Uh, propositional beliefs then come in uh often you know uh, and and in a it's a good thing for propositional beliefs to come in because having a desire for god and even an intuition that say goodness is a real thing and that evil might be a real thing and that it's not that that they're not contained within the human being like these are very vague very vague things. And the end of that intuition is God, I think, or, you know, that's, that's a loaded word. I, I, I don't have another one, but ultimate reality or, or something. 
that there's something that you have an intuition towards. And then propositional beliefs are these things that are, that kind of come up and they're, they point the way and they get in the way and they chatter and, and the, the importance of, of asserting them is, is given to you um, in no uncertain terms, you know, as soon as possible. Um, and what I kind of realized in my life, and this is not to do with my, my church particularly, but I, I never was allowed, I never had a, a time to be allowed to desire God. Uh, I didn't, I didn't even have, you know, I mean, when, before you even have a, an idea of what need is, you know, when you're raised the way I was raised, you're told what you need and, and you're told there's already a system in place for everything you need. Um, here's, here's a list of what you need to believe this because it is true. Um, and, you know, fill in the blank. So we've given you the ceiling and you need to, you know, however you can, you need to prop up the, um, the infrastructure beneath that, get there, we're going to help you, but, but you, you will reach this point. And, and I don't know if this is, it's complicated. I'm not making a point uh, exactly because I don't think you can do anything else other than try, like, you know, if my children have, I have ideas and thoughts about right and wrong and about God or whatever it would be wrong for me to not give them any propositions. Um, and yet those propositions took away um, my ability, I think, it, partially, to experience the need, to live in the need. I would actually find myself jealous of the people who'd come and give their testimony and they'd been a drug dealer hmm. and they'd been, you know, um, yeah. going to prostitutes and they'd been, you know, we had, we had a guy at camp that was particularly bad. Like he told a story that was very titillating, you know, and you were jealous of this guy's, I was sitting here at summer camp, jealous of this guy's sexual exploits that he's telling me about from the microphone. Oh, God. You know, not that he got into specifics, but it was enough for my little, you know, grade seven walking erection brain to, <laughs> to be like, oh my goodness. And then to top it all off, I was jealous of his conversion, which was so dramatic. Yeah. So I got to be yeah. jealous twice. And, um, and I guess, um, yeah, I, one of the things I was jealous of was that feeling of need that, that, you know, they talk about rock bottom, they're laying in a pool of urine and, and, you know, like they realized how badly they need God. And there was almost a physical light shining down. So um, I guess, yeah, re maybe respond to that. Do, do these beliefs um, unintentionally form a barrier? Do churches form a barrier to the feeling of need? Do they form a barrier to genuine evolution of, this, of the person? Well, think, think, think about your, the process of falling in love with your wife and the transition that happens between that you know, there's a lot of intuition and, and, and then at some point in a relationship, the, I love you. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a, you know, propositional truth, um, comes into being, mm -hmm. but, but of course then, you know, there's a, the, there's infatuation and, and that, you know, the, 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 the relationship between you and your wife undergoes a lot of 
change and development over mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. There's stewarding of that. There are, if you're like most married people, there are days that you do not feel a lot of love towards your wife. You, in fact, you might right. feel a lot of enmity towards your well, wife and or her maybe, towards you. Maybe you do. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> I haven't gotten that. I'll, I'll confess. No, we've been married um, 10 years. I have never experienced that. No. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, continue. So, so, but yeah, you know, you have children. So now suddenly there are, um, now, now when you, um, there are some times when you look at your wife and you say, I love you and you hope for an, I love you back. And you hear one gritted through her teeth. Um, <laughs> but all of the, all of the actions of love that express get expressed in paying the electricity bill and, um, not you know, going to a bar every night after work and hanging out with those buddies instead of going home to your wife. I mean, just on and on and on and on and on. You would have to ask the question, does that propositional truth of I love you get in the way? Well, yeah, it does. Because (laughs) if you are stepping out on your wife, she will throw it back at you and say, right, but you said you loved me. And your actions are not in line. Now, right. now, your devotion to your church, I would assert, and maybe I'm wrong, but your devotion to your particular local church should be less than your devotion to your wife. And most churches will tell that to right. you. Yeah. Um, but, but I use that illustration to frame the complexity of of the relationship with a church and also with a God, because quite obviously a relationship with a God has some things in common, but other things not in common with a relationship with a wife. Sure. So these, and especially when churches throw a lot of propositions at people, more than churches usually recognize they are throwing at people, Mm and make demands of people around those propositions. So it, it, is a very, it is a very complex business. Yeah. And now the kind of transformations that you're talking about. So, so the last video that I did was, you know, almost three hours of talking about transformations because. Yeah. I watched this, the short version. Okay. This is a, this is a, We're, we're, we want transformation because we have in our minds intuitions about the creatures that we could become and that we desperately want to become. Mm-hmm. And so... And they have it, to be intuitions because if we, if we knew exactly what they were, they, like, they, they wouldn't be transformations. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and you, you know aspects of them and you have to do a lot of dead reckoning on the way to think this is taking me more towards that thing. And you don't, you don't individually grasp or see or even govern that aspirational self that you are, that, that you feel yourself heading towards. So, and, and churches, you know, churches are in the business of assisting people to be heading towards you know, aspirational new selves. Right. And, and, and so 
there's a lot going on in this. And so people yeah. sometimes leave churches for reasons that the church themselves have provoked them to aspire towards. Right. Or, or sometimes people I think you're might... kind of saying something. Yeah, you're kind of saying in a, probably a better way something I was trying to say earlier, but keep going. Sorry well, to and, and so this is a tricky business. Yeah. And, you know, I have as a pastor for, for a few years now, you have the experience of walking with someone during a transformation and you quickly realize that either myself as a pastor or this church as a church or a context is probably not the best place for them mm. in terms of what they need for this transformation. Right. And, and so you know, part of what has happened mostly now with churches is that you, you, you're allowed to leave church with a blessing or at least a bit of silent permission. Right. Partly because, because church discipline um, has, has quite, has broken down quite a bit. Yeah. It's um, not really a thing anymore. No. And that's a whole nother conversation, but yeah, I mean, I would love to have that conversation with someone uh, yourself, especially because I've, I, I do not understand that at all, but anyway, keep going. Yeah. So, so here's the, here's the good part and the scary part. On one hand, you are the steward of this transformation. In some ways you have a degree of stewardship and responsibility for it. So you rightly have a say what communities you'll participate in, so on and so forth. The bad news is, you know, we all have that and we all have a variety of ways in which we delude ourselves, which is exactly why we want to have persons and relationships and relationships with persons and institutions that help us on towards those transformations. And so making these kinds of decisions such as when is it time to leave a church? Mm -hmm. What kind of church should I seek and join? Mm. Part of what we're suffering from as a society is in fact the rampant individualism and consumerism that make us susceptible to making bad choices as we pursue and undergo these transformations. Mm. Because we are always being transformed. Right. The, we live, you know, if we would imagine a few hundred years ago, someone who is a farmer or living in a rural area, the, they are undergoing transformations, but quite a bit more slowly and quite a bit less the, the victim of innumerable commercial political and ideological agents that have designs on colonizing individuals in order to decrease their agency and make them tools of whatever agendas they have. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are at this point bombarded by commercial, political, and ideological forces that very much wish to take control of us. And yeah. many of them have highly developed skills and tools with which they are operating. And mm. so, yeah, scientific dialed in 
Yeah. I, might, I mean, this phone is probably listening to me to this conversation. I might get an ad for a, a church in my Facebook. That's right. To this. Uh, so, so we, it, it is a tricky business right now. And so we do in fact need wisdom hmm. and this wisdom, this wisdom needs to be, um, we, we need to gain this from each other. Now we have a difficulty that many of the traditional institutions and relationships of wisdom, such as church and pastor have been eroded. Hmm. And yeah. And, and some of which is deserved, but we are missing them. Mm, yes. and, and, you know, part of the reason you and I are having this conversation is, is because you are seeking wisdom in your transformation. Mm. And, you know, I'm doing the same thing, of course. Right. I open myself to these conversations because I learn from them. Right. And just like we started out the conversation, I have a YouTube channel because I, too, am seeking wisdom and mm. by virtue of the inter the new interrelationships that I have with others yeah. via this channel, I am gaining hopefully wisdom and insight. And this is part of my own transformation. Yeah. So to tie some of this together, um, if uh, what I'm kind of hearing from you is that um, we're all, tr we're all transforming church is a, um, a church would be a place where uh, transformation under the kind of uh, under the supervision or the watchful eye of a community and of a, a religious leader would would facilitate and, and help you in your transformation over a long period of time. And there is certainly a, a, a level of an, an element of continuity that I would say you're you're um, promoting. Um, in state, not only being in a church, but staying in one for uh, a long enough time to allow that to change, and that some of the um, some of the intuition, some of our following of our intuition, is compromised um, due to ourselves and um, our our desires and that kind of thing. Um, so I'm I'm with you in all this, and and that seeking wisdom uh, is is important. I think um, to 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 go a little further or, or maybe throw a different um, element into the conversation. Uh, when you talk about being a steward of our intuitions um, and a steward of the, of the Congress and of the voices within ourselves, um, I think one of the things that maybe I, I feel has been lacking a bit is the, um, uh, that we need to be a steward of the concept of mystery. Uh, that we need to, in other words, like uh, you talk about my relationship with my wife, and I've said this in, another, in one other podcast, one of the things that I need to, um, I believe I need to cultivate is the feeling of, of the mystery of my wife, um, of the things that she might still have to, to reveal or the thing, the ways in which she may change or the ways in which she will facilitate my transformation. And that should be, I should ascribe that to my church as well. Um, that, uh, you know, there, there should be a level of mystery and I should certainly ascribe that to, to God. Um, maybe the level of mystery we could talk about, but, um, uh, it's something that I think, maybe the 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 beliefs and 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 the current uh, modernist way of thinking 
um, has a hard time with, has a hard time facilitating is that um, we're going to instruct you every week. And yet we need to maintain, all of us need to maintain a mystery, an element of mystery. Um, and so to throw it even another curveball in there, um, uh, wisdom itself, I, I've sort of started to see wisdom as being uh, a, another uh, a being almost uh, or a sub-personality within myself that I am attempting to more often and more intentionally embody or more like I'm, I'm acting through that or that is acting through me. I'm allowing that person, the person of wisdom. I like to characterize it as a person, could be just my religious upbringing. I like to characterize wisdom as a person. But if I felt that I knew that person fully, if I felt that that wisdom person had no mystery contained within, then I would be, become less and less wise. My wisdom would at least plateau, if not, if not nosedive. So, um, I, I, I don't have a question in there, which is, uh, I should just make a shirt that says, uh, this isn't a question, and start selling that. Maybe it would sell. Um, but it's, it is spurring, it's, it's, it's building on what you're saying as, as you say it, because um, there's a certain amount of personal responsibility that will always be there. And I think maybe that's almost the, that's almost the, um, the, the, Christ in us would be like, you know, when, when Jesus came uh, in the Bible, uh, he was a, an agent of questioning. There was a certain amount of, uh, there was a certain amount of skepticism uh, in him of the institutions and, um, and, It, it felt to me like Jesus was that voice that says, that said that there's more, um, you know, that there, there's, there's, there's more here um, and that, we're, that you're not seeing, that you're not experiencing. And, and occasionally he would be frustrated by that. Um, and and uh, um, the, the, the Holy Spirit, to me, uh, I don't know, I'm kind of losing my own thread. But uh, like, yeah, does this, does this make sense? What I'm saying, does it, does it make some sense? Well, there's always, there's always more to the valuable things in this world. There's more to your wife. You will in, let's say you're married to your wife 60, 70 years, it's a pretty long marriage. You will not exhaust your ability to know your wife. There will always be more of her that you will learn, uh, good and bad. Mm. Um, and the same is true of you. That's part of the reason, again, the Ian McGrochris stuff, there, there's two sides of the brain. We're not, we're, not going to, we're not going to exhaust this world in these very short lives that we have. In fact, all of human history up until this point has only, in fact, scratched the surface on this world. So that's that's a reality that um, that we that we ought not to um, concern ourselves with. That we will exhaust the world. Oh yeah, that's an expectation. Yeah, that we shouldn't. 
or yeah. a goal that is. The, and do you, go sorry, ahead. do you oh, think, do you think that uh, uh, religion, you know, not at its worst, I guess, um, actually does want to claim through the inerrancy of scripture and the, you know, the theological soundness, airtightness of their, you know, church's mission statement or whatever, that, uh, that maybe, maybe the mystery of the mystery of God and the mystery of reality has been undermined. People have a need for certainty and reliability. You know, if you, um, you, you won't get the sense from the Apostle Paul that Christ is something we can exhaust. Hmm. Part of what happens sometimes Christian institutions should, their, their, their design, given that they are Christian, should be to love, um, should be to facilitate the loving of people. That's what, that's what the institutions should be for, because mm. the, the institution should facilitate the primary directive of its master, which is love your neighbor as yourself, all the way up to and including your enemy. Mm -hmm. There's the prime directive of the church. Mm. The, 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 the infinite nature of people make that command complex because even, you know, as if you're a parent of a child, you yeah. love your child, you, yeah. you want the best for your child right. and in, in ways that perhaps even, even go beyond what you want for your spouse. I mm. mean, that's, that's a dynamic yeah. in a family often. I would say. Um, figuring out how to do that at times is enormously difficult. Oh, yeah. It's the work of a lifetime. Yeah, it is. It's the work of a lifetime. Now, churches have many times wished to put the needs of the institution ahead of the needs of the individual. Now, there are times when that is necessary because all the other individuals need the institution too. <laughs> and so churches are always navigating that interchange. And so churches have in a, often in an attempt to deliver, to deliver certainty and comfort to people, clipped uncertainty. That's mm. what we do all the time. Your child comes mm. to you and say, Daddy, Grandma died. Will you ever die? And about the right answer for that is a hug. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what you do is your you allow your child to indulge a false belief about you that, you know, you can you can keep mm. this child safe against anything and anyone. You you allow that idea to you know you don't sit, take your four year old and say, well you know, mm. coronavirus is a pretty scary thing and it might take right. me out. It might take you out too. I mean you don't tell yeah. that to a six year old, right? Um, you might you might remind a fourteen year old to wash their hands. Right. So, you know we're always navigating this mm -hmm. this dynamic and. 
Christian institutions are too. Now, they've got to get it right mm. because in some ways when Christian institutions promise more than they can deliver, well, okay, we prayed for so-and-so and they had cancer and they died. Yeah. What does that say? Should we have prayed for them? I mean, people, people wrestle with these things. Yeah. So, you know, this is, um, these are, these are things that we navigate and yes, churches, you know, so another video I want to do has to do with, um, again, this, this question of voluntary and involuntary belief, Mm. Bill Maher on Joe Rogan made the comment, which was very helpful to me when he said, you know, comedians, comedians make people laugh. Laughter is involuntary. Mm. Pastors try to make people believe. Belief is involuntary. He said so, that part too, or you? Oh, no, I said that okay. part. All right, okay. <laughs> yeah, Bill Maher didn't say that part. Okay, <laughs> all right. I say that part. Yeah. And and so there's a sense in which comedians tap into something that is not terribly conscious in them. Mm. The jokes arise somehow. Yeah. And sometimes the best jokes are the ones that elude yeah. some of the filters. Right. Did I say this joke? Ah. So often comedians have very low filters. Gets them right. into trouble. But as yeah. you know, they serve an important function in the community. Right. And so we're all working on these things together. So yeah, yeah when um when when churches clip uncertainty and mystery in order to afford comfort and security. There's a trade-off there. Yeah, it takes it takes real it takes really great insight to know what parts of reality are ridiculous enough to get a laugh, um, and it takes really great insight uh, to know what will what will bring about belief, I suppose. Like, uh, uh, and what leads down what leads to that road. There's an intuitive element to that. So uh, yeah, I guess uh, this is longer than I usually go. Uh, do you, based on all we've been saying, I mean, I certainly am uh, hoping for searching for wisdom through the podcast. So based on what we've been saying, do you have anything else you'd like to express? Anything that you think would shed light on my situation or anything else that, that this conversation has spurred? Well, you you have a sense of um, you have a sense of I think, I mean you're you're clearly trying to steward yourself and your transformation. That's that's clearly happening. Um, I, in in terms of a, a Christian pastor, Christianity, Christianity offers some things that are really hard for us to get our minds around. Mm-hmm. The idea of the resurrection, the goodness of God. Um, and, and I think people often, people often sell out too low. And I think when I, when I, talk, to, when I talk to atheists, that, that's perhaps the, the, the sin of secularity is they they ask for too little mm. because they say, well, I've got this life between zero and 80 and I want to do things that are meaningful and I want to do things that are comfortable and I want to do things that are good. 
Um, mm-hmm. How much good can each of us actually accomplish in our lifetimes? It's pretty limited. Mm. So, uh, you know, my admonition for you would be to, you know, don't don't sell out too quickly or too cheaply. That's a that, but that itself is a difficult thing to bear. Mm. And all you know, there's a there's a great degree of wisdom out there, which um, which is commonly known about you know, striving to obtain virtue and wisdom, um, you know, quick to listen. And so, I mean, the Bible's full of this stuff and other, other, you know, other faiths and scriptures have, yeah. have similar things often quick to listen and slow to speak, you know, read the book of, read the book of Proverbs. Um, you'll find a ton of wisdom in Proverbs mm. and, and so much of it is, is time tested, but, you know, I think you're, I think you're doing good things. You're asking good questions and you're, it sounds like you're, you know, pursuing a good process in order to gain wisdom. So, well, that's you know, good. keep at it. That's good to hear. I appreciate that. And, uh, I have found your, uh, I have found your videos to be encouraging, uh, uh, because you don't, um, you don't speak as one who, who has a, uh, you know, who, who owns wisdom, who, you know, or you don't even speak as though only um, your um, church or your sect or your faith is the, the, those are the only places that wisdom can be found. In fact, I've noticed that you've, you've been quite uh, occupied in, in unpacking the views of a couple of extremely, well, they're not Christian. They don't assert Christianity. First Jordan Peterson and now John Ravaki, who I spoke yeah. to in a, in a podcast. Um, yeah. And, uh, so I, I really appreciate that openness and it, it, what it communicates to me in a real way is that all wisdom, you know, is God's wisdom, you know, and all, all, all love is God's, all real love is God's love. And uh, even though my faith is, and, you know, my, my beliefs have been very nebulous as to what that, what God is or what, you know, all of that, those things have, have been encouraging and, and remained remain true for me. So, uh, I, I appreciate that. And, um, I think that's a, 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 an okay place to wrap up. I appreciate you talking to me. Um, I hope that by, by processing these things out loud and s- sending them back and that I'm not seeming like I'm not listening or, or, or that I'm, that I'm not receiving, uh, what you're saying. I'm, uh, I, I, I'm, I am processing all of this stuff. So I, I believe you are, I believe you are much appreciated. So uh, yeah, anything uh, anything you want to promote or anything like that uh, before we're done? No, no. If people if people like this and they want to subscribe to my channel, that's great. But yeah. um, if okay. not, that's okay too. <laughs> yeah, it's worth a subscribe. Um, it, it's this kind this kind of thing and more. And so uh, yeah, um, I, I, Paul, I really appreciate you being here and, and your words today. Thank you. Is this gonna? Is this ever gonna see the light of day? Yes, sir. I promise that it will. And you know, I, I, it definitely will. Okay. Okay. And, and I'm gonna do an intro video to it. And what I'm gonna try not to do is apologize too much uh, for mentioning the name of Jordan Peterson because I don't want to. You know, I don't want to be fearful. And so, yeah, this is no. A- and and I, you know, one of the things that I do think about is you know, I'm in process too. And I've, there are times when I think, oh, I should take some of those old videos down because I don't like this or I don't like that about them. But 
I, I don't think it's bad to let others see your process. Yeah, I, I've come to that. I've come to that realization slowly, and and I think maybe what I should do uh, is release the other one. Uh, but would would that bother you uh, if I release that one at some point? Okay, so no, no, maybe no. maybe I will do that. It'll be really interesting just to see if anybody is actually interested to see the the evolution in 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 the way he's discussed and uh, and all that. So yeah, okay. Um, anyway, uh, I'll probably uh, I think we're done now, and uh, I, but I'm not gonna cut you off. I, I'll oh, just just let me know when you release it so I can tweet it or something like that. Will do. Thanks a lot. Yep. Um, okay, Aaron. I, I really appreciate it. Have a good rest of your day. Okay, take care. You too.